As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles as we continue our study through 2 Corinthians, power and weakness. But as we begin, would you please join me in prayer? Let's turn our hearts toward the one who makes beautiful things. Let's pray. Father God, what you have proven over and over again is that you have the desire and the power to make beautiful things out of the dust. That's how our story started. It's amazing that it was out of the dust that you made something beautiful because it was made in your image. It was made to know and love you and to be known and loved by you. And what a beautiful thing you made reflecting who you are. Father, that's true of everyone here this morning. And for many, they may still feel like they're just sitting or lying in the dust. Just longing for you to come and, and to touch them and love them and tell them that you're making them beautiful. So God, would you come with such power through the preaching of your word, such power through the Lord's Supper that, that Lord, you would show us the most awesome, the most beautiful of all things, Jesus, and how in him we too can be beautiful. Father, would you take the dust of this sermon and would you make it beautiful for your glory, for your church, for our lives. Father, only you can do that. Only you can open our ears to to hear the beautiful voice of a shepherd named Jesus. Uh, Father, only you can send the spirit of Jesus into our minds and, and shed your knowledge into our darkened minds so we can understand what it means for us to, to be in Christ Jesus. God, would you lovingly wrap your hands around our hearts and God, the parts of our hearts that don't believe or don't be beat for you, would you lovingly crush them and would you fill them with the beauty of Christ? Father, may we walk out of here knowing the truth of who we are in Jesus. And may we walk a life that is beautiful before you. Because you make beautiful things out of the dust. Thank you for being that wonderfully powerful. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, raise your hand high in the air if you are here and you have what we call a performance issue. Go ahead. Anybody here with performance issues? My goodness, at least there were four of the people who admitted it in the early service. I think about like three hands. Well, for those of us who raise our hand, say, yes, my name's Jeff. I have performance issues. If that's you, good news. At least you're in touch with yourself. For the rest of you who said, I'm not raising my hand for one reason or the other. Maybe you say, I'm not doing that. It's crazy. Maybe you got too much pride. Let me tell you, you got performance issues. If you're in here and your heart is beating and you uh, uh, got a pulse and you're breathing, let me tell you, you have performance issues. We're going to unpack some of those. We got some amazing good news. Amazing good news because God deals with those of us who have performance issues. Let me tell you something. The world has performance issues. How do we know it? God so loved the world and all of their performance issues that he would send a savior. 
He didn't send just a friend. He didn't send just a counselor. He didn't send just somebody that could maybe help us a little bit along the way. Because our performance issues are so profound, so deep, and so ugly, God, although he's so amazingly loving, sent a savior to deal with our performance issues. For some of you, they're negative performance issues. For some of you, you have performance issues that when you are criticized, criticized for who you're not or what you haven't done, uh, criticized for a poor performance, immediately you go into a tailspin. Immediately, your identity crisis. Immediately, oh, man. You know, if that's you, if, if you are criticized, rightly or wrongly, and you immediately tailspin, and you head into self-loathing, uh, you have performance issues. But those, there's other side of performance issues. If you're prideful, self-righteous, and you are prideful because of your good performance, guess what? You have performance issues too. I love the story that Jesus tells about two people in the uh, temple, two that could not be more polar opposites. Uh, much more than just a Republican or Democrat, much more than uh, an American and a Russian or anybody else. I mean, these two, wow, different. You had a Pharisee, a uh, really religious person, uh, who did all the right religious stuff, uh, who's in the temple and he's praying. And next to him was a tax collector. Uh, tax collector in the Bible. I mean, this is about as low as pond scum, uh, robbing God's people to pay the Romans. Tax collector, very, very uh, uh, not lovely kind of person in that society. And the tax collector knew he had performance issues. Oh man, did he know it. I mean, his performance issues were so great that he just kind of beat his chest and said, God, I got performance issues. I am, I, I'm a filthy sinner. You know, there was the other one, the, the religious guy standing next to her. You know what he loved? He loved his virtue. He loved his righteousness. And he had even greater performance issues. Because he stood there in God's presence at the temple and says, Man, am I glad I'm not like that guy who has real performance issues. So if you're here and you love your virtue or you love your righteousness, you got performance issues. Maybe if you're here and if you've ever told anybody this, if this has ever been a sentence that's come from your mouth, that I am a good Christian or that I have tried to be a good Christian, listen up, you have performance issues. Performance issues are plaguing this church. Performance issues plague this passage. This pastor, this passage, this pastor. But this passage will help us provide an amazing truth, an amazing secret, if you will, that will for all of us, whether you have negative performance issues or, you know, I'm not good enough or positive, you're too prideful, wherever you sit, each one of you, there's good news for you. Each one of you here, there's a story to be told in Christ Jesus that will help us with our performance issues. So as we look to 2 Corinthians this week, we'll, be, we'll find out that Paul is being criticized for his performance issues. Paul is being criticized for not doing that which he said he would do. Paul had told the church in Corinth, hey, I'm going to come see you a couple times. I'm going to come visit you. But he providentially was hindered. He wasn't able to do it. So instead of coming in person and seeing them, he wrote them a pretty nasty letter. The people in Corinth were not acting like uh, Christians should act, and a lot of bad things were happening in the church. So he wrote a pretty scathing letter. 
But here's what people were saying about Paul. Can we trust this guy? This guy's got performance issues. I mean, this guy tells us one thing and he does another thing. I mean, is he really an apostle? Can he, is he really trustworthy? Who is this Paul guy anyway? And what's that crazy story about how he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus? What was that? Is he really trustworthy? They were questioning his performance. But let me tell you, Paul did something that's so antithetical. Paul did something that's so amazing. Paul did something we all have to see. Because he did something that I, I wouldn't naturally do. I'm criticized. Here's what happens. Defense shields go up. Defense shields go up. Protect you know, protect the body blow and start criticizing. Yeah, that person doesn't know it. That person's an idiot. That's not really true. That's not really right. Have you seen what is right about me? That's what I do. But Paul, I mean, unbelievably, takes this criticism, being criticized for being something he's not, and instead of looking to his performance or the lack thereof, he does something amazing. He looks to Jesus. He looks to Jesus' performance. Matter of fact, more than that, he points the entire church and says, don't focus on me and my lack of performance. Focus on Jesus and his perfect performance. And he has that for us today as well. He wants us here at Orangewood to focus on Jesus' perfect performance because that performance allowed Paul to continue. Do you know that it's through Jesus' performance, not yours? Let me say that again. Do you know it's because of Jesus' performance? What do you mean by that, Jeff? Well, his obedience, his obedience to come and fulfill everything a holy God requires. His obedience to come and do all that which the Father, who's holy and right, asks of man to do. Jesus' obedience uh, is perfect. Do you know that it's Jesus' obedience in life, his obedience in death, where Jesus, incredibly on the cross, obedient unto death, where he becomes our sin. Unbelievable. Jesus, through his resurrection, it's through his performance. It's through Jesus's, listen, through Jesus's life, through Jesus's death, through Jesus's resurrection, that all of God's promises are fulfilled. Did you hear that? It's through Jesus's performance, not yours, it's through his obedience, not yours, that all of God's promises are fulfilled. Well, some of you might be here thinking, well, let me think. I'm a human being. Aren't I entitled to all of God's promises? Aren't I entitled to God's promises just by living in his image? No. Let me tell you, every one of God's promises are conditional. Did the pastor just say that? Every one of God's promises are conditional. And they're not just a little condition. There are Perfect obedience is required to secure God's promises. But there's good news. And that's where we continue to look to Jesus. By God's grace, through faith, all of God's promises are given to us. Are you kidding? Hear that again. By God's grace, through faith, in Jesus' performance, all of God's blessings are given to us. So there's where we need to be today is to look and focus on what Christ has done for us. You know, I'm not going to look at the particulars of, of uh, um, this passage. Today, we're going to pick up the passage where we left off last week in verse 12. I'm going to read a pretty long passage of Scripture, so you're going to have to lean into it. And as I read it, you're going to feel like, man, this is really talking about another scenario that I can't relate to. I mean, Paul's dealing with a specific church in a specific time, about specific issues. But through the amazing 
uh, majesty of God. It was written by Paul, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And scripture tells us that everything that was written was written for us. Isn't that good news? So there's a story here for us. This story is for us. But instead of me boring down and saying, well, let's look at how many visits he had and let's look at all that was going on there. God has called me to say, let's use this passage as a springboard to lift us up to the big story. How is it? Here's the big story. How is it that performance failures like you and me can ever find God's promises? What are God's promises? How do we get them? They go much more than the, the, the narrow view of right here. We're going to lift up and see what is the big story uh, that God has for us and God's grace in Christ Jesus. That amazing performance that Paul will point to and say, look to Jesus that kept him going. Okay, um, 2 Corinthians 1, we're going to pick up in verse 12 and read through uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Um, again, uh, what a privilege it is that God has given us his holy word. So on the screen, follow along in your lap with your Bible or listen, but please lean into God's holy and errant word. Paul writes in verse 12, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we've lived with a God-given holiness. By the way, the only holiness that ever you have is a God-given holiness. More on that in a minute. And sincerity in our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not our own human wisdom. This is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there's nothing written between the lines, and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on the day when the Lord returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. First on my way to Macedonia, and again when I returned from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. Now, you really want to lean into these verses. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, don't you love that translation? God's ultimate yes, he always does uh, what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, or literally truly, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. Man, incredible. For he commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you'll be full of joy. For it's by your own faith that you stand firm. So I decided I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For I have caused you grief 
who, uh, uh, for if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. This is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from you being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish, with troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but now, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. Let's again pray. Father, give us insight to see what you have for us. God, I know you have something amazing for us today. Speak through just a broken vessel like me. May the beauty and the glory of Jesus be seen for all of us who have such deep performance issues. We pray in God's powerful name. Amen. Well, here we see that Paul is telling us that all of the promises of God... All of the promises of God. And you read the Bible and you read through, there are so many promises of God. They're all secured to us through Christ Jesus. But we got to look a little deeper into these promises. Again, we start off by saying it's God who initiates with us. God is the great initiator. He's so gracious to initiate with us and to promise us blessings. But all of God's blessings, listen, all of God's blessings are only found in context of relationships. You have to be in right relationship, first and foremost to God, to receive those blessings. So God blesses us, but he blesses us with certain promises, but he only does it through relationships. We call those covenants. God is a covenant-making God. He has come to us and he says, I want to be your God and uh, you will be my people. And he enters into a relationship with us. Well, with these covenants, there always comes blessings. God says, listen, uh, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. And if you obey me, I'm going to bless your socks off. If you obey me, I'm going to give you life and life abundantly. If you obey me, I'm going to be with you and love you and guide you and empower. If you obey me, God promises us amazing promises. I got to be fair. Read the Bible. God enters into these covenants with us and he promises us blessings if we perform. But guess what? If we don't perform, he promises us curses. He promises us that things will happen. As a result of disobedience, things will happen as a result of breaking his commandments and his covenant. He always gives us a sign, a sign and a seal of that relationship, the covenant. For example, when he came to Noah, he made a promise to Noah. He said, Noah, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to wipe out the earth because of sinfulness with water. I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to give you a sign and seal that I never will do that. You're going to always have seasons. They'll always be the, uh, the life will endure until I come back. And by the way, isn't it great that God gave us seasons? I love baseball season. I love football season. I love all the seasons. And I know he wasn't talking that, but I got to tell you, sitting in a spring training game, knowing that baseball's back, I feel better. Life, life continues. Life comes on. And I go back and think, thank you, God, for telling Noah that what you're going to do. We have seasons because of your promise. As a matter of fact, he put the rainbow up there, a boat headed toward heaven saying, I'm going to do this. He came to a guy named Abraham, said, Abraham, I love you. I'm going to give you faith and to believe in me. And Abraham, although you have no kids, man, I'm going to make you an amazing nation. Hey, listen, Abraham, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you so much, you're going to bless 
all of the nations. Look to the sky, Abraham. The descendants through your seed will be even more than that. That's incredible. Because I want to give you a sign and seal of that. And here it is, is, is circumcision. He, he went to David, the Old Testament. He said, David, I love you, David. I love you and I want to make you king. You're going to be King David. And David, you're going to have a son who will always sit on the throne. What an amazing promise. Again, all of those pointing to King Jesus. But he says, with all of those, God says there are requirements. But here's what you really got to hear that's unbelievably fantastic about our God. You ready for this? You got to hear this. This is unbelievable. You got to hear this. What God requires, you ready for this? What God requires, God provides. Are you kidding me? What God requires, God provides. Uh, what an amazing God. Um, he, he went into a relationship with Adam and said, Adam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter a relationship with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you life. Um, and if, if you obey, I'll have that life continue and that life will become eternal. Um, but we know the story. Adam didn't obey and, and uh, death was the curse in the response after that. But God, listen, God didn't give up on us. God didn't give up on us after that. He made another covenant. We call it the covenant of grace. He says, now I'm going to promise life and life abundantly. But ready for this? It doesn't perform. It doesn't depend on performing, doing. This covenant of grace depends on believing. Believing that I will provide for you. That I will provide for you. Because all that God requires, God provides. Let's unpack that for a minute. God is holy and he requires perfection. Listen, there's not one sin in your life. There's not one. That, that, that smallest little sin, that whitest little lie, there's not one little teeny issue in your life or my life that God can wink at. Not one. Do you know that there's not one sin in your life as small or minuscule as it could be that God's holy wrath doesn't burn toward? Now you say, well, is that really fair? Yes, God has to because God is holy. I mean, God is perfect. And, and, and in his nature, in his being, he must deal with every sin. And every sin separates us from a holy God. And his wrath rightly burns for us, for those sins. So God can't take any of our sins and kind of wink and say, oh, it's no big deal. But what God requires, God provides. And what does God prov- require? Performance that's perfect. So he sends Jesus. So he sends Jesus, God's holy son, to become man, to do that which we fail to do. You see, Jesus, the story is so important. He's got to start with a virgin named Mary because he's got to start sinless. And then he's got to perfectly fulfill the law. And he's got to fulfill it every jot and tittle. He has to be the righteous one, the holy one. He has to fulfill all that God requires. His performance has to be picture perfect, not missing a thing. What God requires, perfection, God provides in Jesus Christ. His, what the theologians call, act of obedience. Jesus came because Jesus is not only a covenant-making God with us. You ready for this? This is unbelievable. He is a covenant-keeping God. Jesus came to fulfill the requirements that God the Father had for us by perfectly fulfilling the law. So that you and I now who have performance issues can run to Jesus and say, but he has none. He did it all. Isn't that incredible? That's what Paul did. I mean, Paul Paul pointed to his lack of performance. But look at Jesus. Where I failed, he succeeded. 
where I fall short, he, he made the mark perfect. His active obedience. There's more. There's more. Listen, this Jesus, this covenant-making God, not only did he fulfill what God requires. You gotta listen, listen. He also, he absorbed the curse that we deserve. And so when you look at the equation, and you look at a holy God who enters into relationship with us, who demands perfection, we see Jesus on that side of the equation. He perfectly fulfilled the law. But you have the other side of the equation that we've messed up and we've broken. We deserve death and damnation. Guess what? Jesus absorbed God's wrath on the cross. We call that his passive obedience. His passive obedience that he became, listen, it's not something remote. He became your sin. Your sin, your brokenness, your junk, your filth. From the little white lie to that thing you know nobody know about. If you're his, he became your sin. Listen, why? So the Father's wrath, righteous, holy wrath, can be poured out on him. Unbelievable. So that we can have the love of the Father. Jesus is this covenant keeping God who who allows us to enter into a relationship with, with God the Father does both sides. Listen, he fulfills the righteous requirements and he absorbs the wrath. What an amazing performance that Jesus has given to us in his perfect obedience, both active and passive. You know, it was Jesus that um, was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he realized that his life was about ready to come to an end. He realized that he had fulfilled all the requirements Uh, on the active side of things. And now he had to become your sin and my sin. It was at that point where he realized that for the first time in all of eternity, he was going to be separated from the Father. It was at that point that he realized that he he was fully about to become sin. And and that that he would sweat blood. And he would agonize over the reality that the Holy One, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God was about to become filth. Your filth, my filth. And he pleaded with the Father, take this from me, take it from me. Take this cup. That cup represented all of God's wrath. But he said, thy will be done. And Jesus, the covenant keeping God, the righteous one, drank to the dregs the wrath of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? so that we could know the love and joy of being freed from our performance and it could be all about his. So what's the point? The point is that Paul could see his failure of performance and look to Christ and rejoice. Where he failed, Christ didn't and succeeded. Where he deserved wrath of God, he received God's pleasure because of what God has done. So what's the point, Orangewood? The point is this that we need to be like Paul, to realize that it's not about your performance. Do you hear me? It's not about your performance. It's about Jesus' performance. That which should distinguish us, that which marks us, that which defines us should not be our own righteousness. It needs to be Christ. It shouldn't be our own performances. It needs to be Jesus's. Oh, there's power here. Oh, this will set you free. Let's look again at verses 20 through 23. 
and see the two points I have for you. Living in grace, in the grace of God's promises. Verse 20, uh, it says, For all of the promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. What do we see in verse 20? We see the faithfulness of the Father who makes the promise. God who makes the promise, he cannot lie, he cannot change. All of God's promises in the Father, we know we can rely on him. But there's more than that. It's the Father who makes the promises. Uh, let's, let's look to uh, verse 20 again and see that it's the Son who fulfills the promises. The faithfulness is the Son who fulfills all of it. This is what it means, my brothers and sisters. There's not one promise that God is looking for you to fulfill. This is what it means. There's not one thing about your performance that's going to secure one promise of God. This is what it means. There's not one thing about your failure that's going to disqualify you from the promises of God. This is what it means. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in another. His name is Jesus. And the Father accepts his performance on your behalf. How do we know it? It's the faithfulness of the Spirit who seals the promise for us. Look at verse 22. And he, God, has identified us as his own. We are his own. He loves us. We are in Christ Jesus by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees uh, he has, what he has promised us. It's the Father who makes the promise, the Son who amazingly fulfills the promise. And now it is the Spirit who comes and applies the promises to us, a deposit guaranteeing more to come. Live in the grace of God's promises. Live in the security of Jesus' performance. Look at verse 21. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm in Christ. What God requires, guess what? God provides. Who do we stand firm in? Our own performance, our own lives, our own righteousness. Who do we stand firm in? Jesus and Jesus alone. What God requires, God provides for all of you who have performance issues. What God requires, God provides. And Jesus was enough. And amazingly through his righteousness, amazingly through his death, we performance issue people can stand in a holy God's presence, blameless, with great joy. Oh my goodness, the good news. What amazing news that Christ has given to us. Do you know that Satan would love for you to focus on your performance? God wants you to focus on Jesus' performance, but Satan would love for you to focus on your performance. And here's how he'd want to do it. He'd want you to believe that your good performance was good enough. That who you are, being a good Christian, whatever that means, is good enough. That that would lead to pride and self-righteousness. That would lead you to be like that, that Pharisee in the temple, just admiring your own virtue. Admiring your own righteousness. Guess where your eyes are when that happens. Or Satan would love to take those of us who have poor performance issues that makes you feel defeated, that makes you feel like you've lost yet again, that makes you feel broken and makes you fix your eyes. Guess where your eyes are going to be fixed on that? Yourself. You see, the amazing thing about Satan is he wants us to focus our eyes apart from Christ's perfect performance and on ourselves either one way or the other. 
either we're feeling pride, hey, I'm a good Christian, or we're feeling lousy, I can't, I failed again. And either way, we're focusing where? On ourselves, not on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, my brothers and sisters. Did you hear that? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Listen, the only hope that we have to become like him in Christ Jesus, the only hope we have is to fix our eyes upon him. That is what will make us more like him. That is the goal. That is what God will get us to is our Christ-likeness. Do you believe it? Do you really believe you'll become more like Jesus by focusing just on your brokenness? Do you really think you'll become more like Jesus just by focusing on your performance? Focus on his performance. Focus on Jesus and what he has done for you. You will become like him. Make no mistake about it. God's desire for us is to be holy and blameless but it'll never happen if we focus on ourselves. Focus on Christ's performance, what he has done for you. Hide yourself every day in Christ's performance. Hide yourself there. Love him. When the enemy reminds you what you're not, run to his performance. When you start getting puffed up, run to his performance. How do you focus your eyes on him? Spend time with him. I think many of you need to hear what I'm about to say. Quit groveling in your own junk. Quit groveling in all that you're not and lift your eyes way beyond you onto him. Love him. Don't hate yourself. Love his performance. Don't take pride in your own. Communion. What an amazingly beautiful, tangible reminder that our performance isn't good enough, but his is. What an amazing, tangible reminder that our lives need to be focused on Jesus and all he has done for us. As I close, hear these words. His obedience triumphs over your disobedience. Do you know that in Christ Jesus? His obedience triumphs over your disobedience. His blood cleans the mess of your life that you got yourself into. He really does. And His righteousness covers your filthy rags. Don't you dare think that you're going to produce something that's going to cover the filth of your life. It's just going to produce more filth. Lovingly run and embrace the one who wants to robe you with His perfection, cover you in His blood, and remind you of His performance that will set you free. My brothers and sisters, do you get this? Can you feel the freedom in this? Do you know what he's offering us? His perfect performance for our performance issues so that we can live. Let us pray. Father, you make beautiful things out of dust. And you know the filth that we've made our lives into. And oh, how beautiful is Jesus. Oh, how beautiful is Jesus. That he can take the dust and the filth and the muck of our lives. And that his obedience can triumph our disobedience. That his righteousness can triumph over our sinfulness. That he could bridge the gap 
for performance issue failures like me in this church and make us performance gainers in Christ Jesus. Thank you for Paul who would look at criticism as an opportunity to point to Jesus. Father, I pray for this pastor and I pray for this church that, Father, our performance issues would drive us to your son and not drive us into a narcissistic spiral of ourselves. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus in this table right now. Let us see his broken body and the broken bread. Let us see his poured out blood in the cup. And let us remind ourselves in Christ Jesus that his performance is the only performance that matters. And live free in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As the elders come forward to prepare the table, would you please prepare your hearts?